Welcome to the Air Combat Simulation Podcast, brought to you by VVR Productions. Together with content creators, mission builders, experts, and enthusiasts, we explore the comprehensive world of combat aircraft simulation. everybody welcome back to another episode of the air combat sim podcast this is episode 15 uh today's guests are bio and reflected simulations uh they are doing a campaign called the zone 5 campaign for dcs world um but first let's uh let's talk to to rob how you doing rob been a little bit how's uh how's the holidays coming along it is good to get the my two six-year-old kids are out of uh school so that's keeping me pretty busy at this point and you as well yeah i bet <laughs> <laughs> awesome uh same same here kids are out of school i guess i guess for the listener this won't air just after the holidays probably a little bit later um but we did record during the holidays um so and yeah i uh, have you seen uh, this DCS World Liberation uh, dynamic campaign that's going on ro- around, Rob? Yeah, I've been watching uh, your podcast, and it's given me a whole new uh, uh, addiction on what <laughs> on engaging on how to generate missions and to play. It's been fantastic. So yeah, thank you. I, I highly recommend it to anybody listening who's interested. It's uh, I can't stop playing it. It's it's a lot of fun. Um, so. Cool. Well, uh, today we have, uh, like I said before, bio and reflected simulations with us, um, or just reflected, I guess, is how we refer to them. Um, how you guys doing? Re- reflected, how's it going? Hey, how's it going? I'm good. Uh, thanks for having us here. Sure, absolutely. And then we have bio. Bio, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. Thanks for thanks for having me. I'm uh, happy to be part of your program. Well, and, we're happy to have you wait, here. Wait, wait. And I'm excited to talk about what we're going to talk about here. This is new and it's cool. Well, we're excited to talk about it as well. Um, so yeah, one 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 of you guys uh, just kind of kick off with um, you know what we're all here about to to discuss. Greg, start us uh, off. I was going to say the same. <laughs> I mean, okay, start up. Okay, okay, I'll start it. I'll start it, and then you can fill us in. Uh, this campaign takes place in 1987. 87. It's when the Tomcat was, you know, in its uh, one of its golden years. Certainly, it's uh, one of its golden years of air to air combat. And what we're trying to do is uh, put the F 14 against um, Top Gun type adversaries, uh, the F 5E and the new F-16N. And so we did not want to put that in the, uh, the Top Gun class, but we wanted to have the F-14s fly in Top Gun style missions against these uh, adversaries. And it's realistic Top Gun type training for 1987. That sounds really cool. So where did you guys come up with the, the whole concept? I'm gonna go ahead here. So 
a couple of years ago, I read uh, Bio's first book, Top Gun Days. Then I reread it. And again, I really loved it. And uh, eventually I got in touch with him and we did an interview for a Hungarian aviation magazine. I don't know if you recall, Bio. I do remember that. So, so we did that interview and Bio was really cool about it. Very helpful. Um, he always replied to my mails. And after that, as I started building missions um, for, for DCS, I often dropped him a mail asking some stupid question about this and that. And, and he always replied. And eventually, uh, it just clicked together in my head. Uh, and I asked him whether, whether he wanted to team up with me and, and make a Top Gun style campaign so that we can take his experience and somehow put it in DCS in the form of a campaign. And uh, it took some convincing, but uh, yeah, we went ahead a little more than half a year ago. And now it's complete. ED has it. So the ball is in their court. It's going to be released soon. And I'm really excited. So let me jump in and say why it took some convincing. <laughs> and part, part of that is that I looked at uh, Reflected Simulations. I looked at some of their campaigns that they had done. And they are a very, they're ambitious and they're complex. And I was thinking about my own experiences and I said, you know, I, a lot of my realistic campaign activity would be classified. And so I said, you know, I don't know if I, if I can do a whole campaign plan because even, even planning a, a single mission uh, in contemporary environment is complex. You've got to think about uh, suppression of enemy air defenses and all kinds of timelines and things like that. And so, so I talked to Greg and I said, you know, I don't know if I want to do a complete contemporary campaign. And so I was thinking back in my experience, something that was more limited and something I was very comfortable with uh, discussing was uh, uh, top, you know, was adversary or was training in uh, the late 1980s. And it's still plenty challenging. Uh, and I, and players are going to find that it's challenging because, you know, we, we did not, uh, or we trained very hard. We did what, you know, Randy Cunningham said, the more you sweat in peace, the less you bleed in war. I think other people have said that also, but uh, Duke Cunningham said that. So that's how we got here. That sounds fam uh, kind of familiar with um, the whole idea behind red flag, right? Is, is you do that training up front so that you, uh, you don't have to worry about the things you're thinking about as if it were your first time kind of thing, right? Oh yeah, exactly. And, and red flag came along in, I think the mid 1970s, the top gun, the Navy, the Navy started top gun in 1969 during the middle of the Vietnam war. And, uh, it was, do you want me to go over the, uh, the concept for the original Navy top gun school? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So when the Vietnam War started, uh, the U.S. forces, uh, many of them were operating the F-4 Phantom and they thought that missiles would be, uh, would make dogfighting obsolete. And they got involved with a, uh, an aggressive adversary who was, uh, who was cagey. And many of the rules of engagement uh, 
reduced, certainly reduced the advantage of American missiles. And not only that, but uh, there's a, there are a lot of flaws with our, uh, the way we handled and employed our missiles. I mean, it was just, just a, uh, a big wake up call and the uh, alt report, which was the Navy done by a, a captain named captain alt exposed a lot of these flaws. It was very candid. It was very hard hitting. And in my experience, uh, the Navy was is to be commended for taking an aggressive response and uh, to these to these shortcomings and these flaws. And one of their uh, responses, uh, one of the flaws that the report found and the Navy addressed it was realistic training. Uh, it was also uh, uh, a range, an instrumented range that would record and playback engagements so they could be accurately debriefed. But also along the way, they realized that they had not trained their F-4 Phantom crews in uh, within visual range engagements, which, I mean, that's what people call it now, uh, WVR. But at the time, we just called it, you know, air combat maneuvering or dogfighting. And so the Top Gun School, those guys did a lot of research. They put in a lot of time. The first, uh, I believe it's eight instructors and the commanding officer they put in a lot of time designing uh, lessons and identifying what to teach uh, pilots and Rios at the time in terms of how to employ their aircraft. So the school actually launched during a, a, a temporary halt that was called by uh, President Nixon uh, in the Vietnam air combat uh, activity. And then when combat resumed, the Na- uh, Navy fighters returned with these newfound Top Gun lessons, and they just had a dramatically, uh, dramatically much better success. Uh, instead of you know the early kill ratio in the first part of the war was about two to one, and in the later part of the war, I think it was thirteen to one or twelve to one, something like that. So this validated Top Gun's training methods, and and that launched the Top Gun School. Top Gun has been. Uh, evolving ever since, but to this day, they uh, take, um, you know, they, they're at the leading edge of fighter tactics and weapons employment. That's awesome. Now, you say that the, the campaign itself is, is around this Top Gun stuff. So as a DCS player, what's, what's the expectation as far as how the missions unfold and obviously we don't want any uh spoilers or anything but what what's the expectation as far as what you're asking the player to do uh during this campaign is it is it something where it's mostly training is it you're out of training and you're going to go fight a battle or is just what what kind of the okay here's the setup player here's the setup the uh underlying condition is that uh the navy has recently received the f-16 as an adversary aircraft. And this is, this is true. That actually happened in the middle of 1987. And so what they do is they set up a detachment to, uh, to work on using the F-16 in the adversary role. So they can, you know, it's kind of um, to road test it, flight test it. And so the people that are the, the players that are involved in this have been selected from from fleet squadrons to come participate with their F-14s 
in this detachment fighting F-16s. And then to keep it realistic, they also fight the F-5. Now, uh, a, a going in condition is we had to have it uh, set at Nellis Air Force Base due to uh, realities of DCS. And so we put that in the scenario, why are we flying out of Nellis? Uh, so that's fine. It's not a big deal. You know, the air is the same, uh, whether you're over Nevada or whether you're over Arizona or wherever. So for each flight, the player uh, takes off out of Nellis. Uh, sometimes he's flying uh, as a wingman with the adversary pilot, but usually he's flying with other F-14s. And then he flies up to the range. And along the way to the range, the player has to... Uh, complete his combat checklist and his G warm-up maneuver. In addition, while the player's flying to the range, uh, I give him the uh, flight brief for this event. And so I wrote that uh, briefings similar to the briefings I used to give when I was an actual Top Gun instructor. I mean, they're condensed and we leave out the classified details, but they have some kind of similar tones. So then the player gets up to the uh, range, checks in, and the uh, adversaries are waiting for them, uh, according, you know, arrayed according to the scenario, uh, their training scenario. And so once the fight's on call starts, yes, they're over Nevada. They're fighting against other Americans. But, uh, you know, even though it is, you could, you could call it training, and I'm making air quotes about training. It's intense. It requires, it's challenging. It requires their concentration. And I think players will uh, find it very satisfying. So uh, over to reflective simulations to add any more details I may have left out. Okay. So um, when we started to think about how to, how to translate all this experience in, in, into the realities of DCS, um, first we had to make a compromise because uh, in real life, all these missile shots and gunshots, they were simulated and called out over the radio. And then the range training officer would evaluate the shot and call it a kill or a miss. But uh, to set it up in DCS, in the mission builder, that would mean such complex scripts and everything that I would basically have to rewrite the whole uh, weapon and radar uh, code of DCS, which is impossible. So we agreed that we would that we would use quote real missiles, so real virtual missiles with uh, aircraft actually exploding and being killed. It's so much easier, more reliable, and actually it looks cooler. It's more fun. So uh, then we sat down and and thought about. Okay, a DCS campaign that's about 12 to 14 missions. Uh, what would be a syllabus that puts the player through an increasingly challenging uh, set of missions? And how do we build that? And um, as Bio said, it begins with, uh, with a 1v1 guns only uh, engagements, then... Uh, some, I think we have one more 1v1, then it moves on to 2v2, into 2v unk. We have a lot of 2v unk, like two fighters versus an unknown number of bandits uh, engagements. And that's where we start adding 
little extra challenges and set little traps for the player. And as Bio said, it's it's gonna be difficult and demanding. Uh, even myself, I fell into uh, those traps countless times while I was testing my own missions. I mean, I set up the trap in the mission editor and I still fell. So uh, <laughs> that, that is going to be difficult, but that's the beauty of it. So, uh, yeah. So when reflected, when Greg's talking about this, it reminds me that all these things that we are, uh, that we put in here, they were parts of um, Navy fighter training back in the 1980s. So uh, everything you see in there is realistic. I mean, except for the actual airplanes blowing up, but that sure. was in our imaginations. Yeah. That, that's how we play the game. It's in our imagination. Um, the, the, so you guys had, you know, in, in, in the real training, you had these unknown challenges or training kind of things. Oh, you, you would go up and un, un, not knowing who you were going to go against. Uh, yes. When, uh, when we were talking about 2V Unk and 4V Unk, Unk is, uh, unknown, shorthand for unknown. And those were the most realistic, uh, flights, because if you think about it, um, if you're in a known 2V2, then all you got to do is find two guys and, and you know who you're fighting. But when you're over hostile territory, uh, you there was almost always the possibility that there would be someone unexpected would uh, pop up, uh, could enter the engagement, either, you know, an alert launch from the enemy's airfield or someone hiding in a valley or someone who is way off azimuth and not detected. I mean, there's, uh, you know, we like to think that our surveillance and everything is, uh, is, is sees it all. But uh, one, let's go back to 1987. There was probably even more unknowns. And, uh, and that was a big lesson from Vietnam. A lot of times guys would uh, think they were getting into one situation and there, something else would develop once they got to the merge. So unknown was a, is a realistic scenario. Gotcha. Yeah, we call that, in the, at, least, at least in my group or my circle, we always call that getting third-partied. <laughs> um. <laughs> well, that, that's kind of a... Uh, uh, antiseptic way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, that's, that sounds, uh, like a lot of fun to me. Um, I, I especially like those training type of things. Um, and, and the more realistic, the better in my opinion, cause that's kind of what the whole DCS world, uh, environment and community is all about. So that, that's pretty cool. What are, um, what are some of the challenges, uh, reflected that you had in building this campaign? Um, I'd imagine, you know, every campaign has its own different set of unique challenges, but what, what about this one in particular? Well, if I had to give a very short answer, it would be the same for all my campaigns, DCS AI and <laughs> making it do what I want it to do. Uh, it's, it's, it's crazy difficult. Um, I took the same approach as Baltic Dragon took in Raven one. That means when it was a flight of two or four, the four aircraft are not part of the same flight. I set them up as different groups uh, so I can give them separate commands. That was one of the big challenges, but that kind of worked out well. But the biggest challenge is that in an engagement like this, uh, you can die by actually dying, that is being shot down, 
or mm -hmm. die by hitting the hard deck, which means you are not actually dead in game. So keeping track of who's dead, who can still shoot, who cannot shoot anymore, who should be shot at and who should not be shot at, that is very complex when it's, uh, let's say, a 4v unk engagement. Right. So it took a lot of testing. But, um, but yeah, uh, we worked together really efficiently. So uh, Bio would give me these ideas and uh, share his experience. And uh, very quickly, we would come to a solution how to, how to put that in game. And I was just going to ask Bio to talk about all these little challenges and little traps and speed bumps that we we would lay in front of the player. What, you mean like the wild card? Like the wild card, the VID, the, the echo range. Okay, those, those three are good ones. So the first one I'll talk about is VID because that is a, uh, you know, that's a condition. That's visual identification. And I think nowadays it's mostly called... Uh, PID, positive identification. But back in the 80s, we used the term VID. And in uh, some conditions, in certain or certain circumstances, uh, you had to visually identify the uh, plane that you before you took a shot. And the reason is there was a possibility of uh, friendlies. There's just a, even if it's a slight possibility, there's a possibility of friendlies being in the area. And so uh, that is uh, that. That's like following on to something I talked about a, a situation in Vietnam that really uh, removed a lot of the advantage of having the big and sophisticated F four Phantom. Uh, they had to take visual. They had to visually identify before they took the shot, which means they were within minimum range of the Sparrow in many cases, and so they're committed to an engagement. Okay. So anyway, so in in our Zone Five campaign. We do require visual identification on uh, on some missions, and that was again realistic. Uh, another one is the wild card. Uh, sorry to interrupt. Maybe yeah. I could add how it works in game. Go ahead. Yes. Yeah, I was I was just going to ask because usually your AI is just going to flip around and try to shoot at you when you get within that range. Yeah. So the way I set it up was that. Uh, the friendly AIs will remain weapons hold, so they will they will not fire until you visually identify the the bogies, and you need to do that by pressing spacebar. There's going to be a message um, telling you to do that, and before you do that, even you can fire a shot, but uh, the bandits will be immortal, so you cannot score a kill. But okay. once you are positive that it's either an F16 or an F5, you hit spacebar. You can hear the radio call, and then your wingman will start engaging the bandits, and that's when the bandits will become mortal, and you can actually shoot them down. Of course, there's that always room for cheating because you can hit spacebar from 20 miles out, but then what's the point of training? Right, right, exactly. Okay, and, I, and I just looked at the syllabus, and we only have VID requirements on a couple of missions. But go ahead, I, go ahead, Rob. Or, or I was just going to say, um, you know, it, it's really up to the person playing how immersive they want to make what they're doing. It, 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 it's always like that with games. Yeah. Okay, so let's go on to the second uh, speed bump. And that is the wild card. And this was something that uh, 
that the Top Gun instructors used to do during the Top Gun class, and they briefed the class fighters, uh, they would have an aircraft that was uh, way, way outside of the uh, class fighter search parameters. For example, it may be uh, 20,000 feet directly above the class fighters. I guess 20 is kind of high, maybe uh, 10 to 15 directly above the class fighters. And uh, the fighters were told that they were eligible to be uh, jumped or tapped anytime after the fight's on call. And so what this rep and so the fighters had to uh, maintain a, a good defensive lookout uh, even while they were running a radar intercept. And this um, was this was the way uh, Top Gun implemented uh, one of the hard lessons of Vietnam, and that is, you know, the Viet the North Vietnamese would set up traps. They would you know try to lure the fighters into an intercept, and then they would have you know other aircraft waiting, waiting in a valley or waiting off axis or real high or whatever. And they try to jump the fighters while they're running the intercept. So uh, on that yeah. note, um, from, from the DCS perspective, uh, when you're playing this, you're, you're typically playing it single player, right? Does, does it have a multiplayer? Can you play it co-op also and have somebody in your, in the Rio seat? Let's get back to that topic a bit later because okay, it's more sure. complex. So you're, Okay, so you're playing it uh, with Jester as your Rio, correct? Yeah. Okay, um, how do you get around him calling people out with his eagle eye in that situation? <laughs> by, the, by the time he calls out the wild card, it's usually too late. Oh, okay. Interesting. That's good. Now, okay, go ahead. And we don't, we don't have the wild card, uh, you know, he doesn't destroy your intercept every time. Cause that wouldn't, that wouldn't be any fun. Sure. But you just have to be uh, ready for him on a certain number of these flights and you have to be ready to uh, counter him. And, and Greg and I talked about how to implement that. And I think he's done a nice job of uh, making it realistic. I mean, I, one of the flights when I was a student, a student F-14 Rio, excuse me, I was a fleet F-14 Rio, but I was a student in the Top Gun class one of the flights that I remember very well was when we got tapped by a wild card and I saw this guy way up, you know, 8,000 feet above us, beginning his uh, roll in on us. And I saw him, we turned to counter him and that's what they were looking for. They didn't want us to engage out there, you know, 18 miles from the bandits. So as soon as we turned to counter the wild card, the guy said, uh, you know, you're cleared to continue. So we had made our turn. That kind of interrupted our intercept. Then we had to get back on our intercept timeline, turn back towards the threat sector, get radars on, and rebuild our situational awareness and continue to fight, which which we did. Um, and I got to tell you, Jabbers, would you do something like that in an F-14 fighting against Top Gun instructors and you do it well, it's a sense of accomplishment. And so we're trying to give the uh, zone five player, that same sense. That's awesome, man. That, that would be something. So let me ask this is the wild card. Uh, let's just say this particular instance, is it every mission that has this one defined or is it, can it happen in any mission period? So I guess let me, let me just rephrase. Is it, is it random? Is it a random event to a mission or is it in specific missions? 
it's in specific missions okay because gotcha. it's so complex to set up uh if it was random it would be way too difficult sure but uh we we added the wild card i think as of mission five in the briefing bio will talk about the concept and from then on it may or may not pop up anytime in consecutive until, missions until the end of the program yes and as bio also said it's really just a test so it's not another bandit that you need to defeat it's just to test your lookout whether you spot it in time or not so in game if you spot it in time you turn to counter the threat but also use the f10 radio menu to call it out and you say tally wildcard and and if you say it in time before it fires a missile then you'll hear a call good break continue and the wild card will go weapons hold and just go away, be deactivated, whatnot. And you can you can go on with your mission, your task. Uh, but if you don't spot it in time, then it will kill remove one of the fighters. So maybe a 2v unk will become a 1v unk. <laughs> nice. Nobody then, wants uh, to be there. You don't want to do that. <laughs> That's awesome. So, um, Bio, you you had said previously you don't play DCS World. You're not a DCS World player, correct? Yes, I'm not. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's fine. Um, so, it, oh, sorry, I was just curious if Reflected tried to uh, get you into it or to go down that road. Yeah, that's kind of what I was going after. Okay, you know what? Um, I have some some uh, local friends in my neighborhood here that they were uh, kind enough to set up a uh, demo flight. And so uh, one of the guys has a uh, F-14 backseat. He let me go over there, put on his uh, VR goggles. And we did a, uh, I think we did four Tomcats. Uh, And so I spent about an hour and a half in the cockpit there. And I got to tell you, it's incredibly realistic. So I've I've had a couple of flights. Uh, I also did a a video with the... uh, New Zealand DCS guys, Australia and New Zealand. Yeah, that's that's actually what I was going to bring up. I saw you do that live on Twitch, and I saw your reaction to seeing the Rio pit. <laughs> you know those guys, and they did a very nice job. I I told them I don't have my you know my computers not set up and all that, and so they just let me basically you know hover along in with one of their guys, and I thought they handled it very well, and it was you know it was a lot of fun, uh, and I think they got something out of it because I made you know, comments and stuff. So, Mm -hmm. uh, no, so reflected, he did, he didn't put the pressure on me to, uh, to fly missions. What he did was, uh, during the test phase, uh, he and the tester, uh, sent me some videos for me to watch. Oh, cool. So I've looked at the videos and they're cool. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. That was kind of a moment of truth because, um, we had all these discussions and long emails with bio and, I thought I understood what needs to be done and I built the missions, but of course there was still the possibility that I misunderstood something or it turned out to be very different from what bio had in mind. But fortunately that was, was not really the case. Yeah. When I first flew these things, I thought, you know, this is amazing. And I think I, I watched uh, the first, I watched one of them uh, for about whatever, 40, 45 minutes and I sent Greg like three little comments and he goes, oh yeah, we can fix that. So, uh, yeah, it was pretty amazing. 
You want me to tell you about the third the third speed bump we have? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I'll make. I, the, love, I love spoilers. Oh, geez, you're gonna hate. <laughs> you're gonna hate this one. And the reason that we put this in there is because I had to do this, <laughs> and so I want people who play this game to have to go through the same pain. <laughs> you have to fly through Sam's on uh, several missions. And so you've got to sit there and be on the lookout, listen to your raw gear, jink to counter Sam's and do all that. And then when you get through the Sam uh, area, you've got to get back on your intercept and uh, and get ready to fight the bandits. Those, those are my favorite kind of missions. I, I love, yeah, right. I know I'm not kidding. Yeah. Like I, I, I do that all the time in just the gameplay that I do in DCS world where I'll pick uh, usually a SAM site and then I'll pick a plane that shouldn't be attacking that SAM site and see if I can do it. <laughs> and so it usually ends up in that same similar fashion where I'm just dodging and evading and jinking. And Well, you're uh, going to like this one then. That sounds fun. I, I, I'm all about that. The way we set it up in game is that uh, it's really just to practice uh, SAM evasion. So we agreed that... Uh, the fighters would be set to immortal uh, during their run through the same range. So even if you get hit, you don't get killed and you don't have to restart the mission. You practice some evasion, you either get hit or not, you're going to debrief that. But once you're through the echo range, that's when your intercept starts and maybe with a wild card, you never know. That's cool because that kind of keeps it to the whole... uh concept that this is just training right and so yeah uh, it's kind of like the wild like like greg said it's like the wild card you know we know people want to get in and engage and and that kind of reminds me of something we used to do often uh, when i was a a junior officer just starting in f-14s we would take uh forward quarter missile shots or bvr shots and but we would not count them as kills because we wanted to get out there and fight. So we'd be flying in, we'd shoot, shoot, shoot. And then whoever you, you brought with you would be at the merge and you'd engage them. And that was fun. That yeah, that's fun. also one of, the, one of the speed bumps, so to speak, especially in the first couple of missions, uh, the 2v2s and 1v1s. In game, it's also set up this way. So you can take forward quarter shots before the merge, but the bandit will be immortal. And you will be mortal as well. So there's no point wait, wasting your missiles. Uh, so you really have to go past the merge and engage. And that's when you, you can really kill the bandit. I think there's going to be a steep learning curve and players are going to have to uh, learn and figure out a lot. So, which is like the real world. Sure. Well, that's kind of why we all play this is to learn. So yep. no, nobody plays DCS with the intent to not learn how to, how to do all this stuff because it's so complex. Yeah. So let's go back to the topic of um, multiplayer. I know, I know, you kind of punted, but um, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try again. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, I, I won't dodge the bullet this time. So the thing is, I set up the campaign in a way that the player's aircraft is set to client, which means okay. that they can uh, run it on a server and uh, and play with a friend as a Rio, which would be an even better experience because 
Jester wouldn't have his eagle eye and he would not be calling, um, you know, dogfight callouts even if you're behind a friendly F-14 and stuff like that. Right. But there's a problem. Uh, it's supposed to work, but it doesn't work. That's the story. Um, because multi-crew is kind of bugged. So there's nothing mm-hmm. we can do about it in the mission editor. The thing is, if the mission is run on a server, on a dedicated server, then the radio transmissions uh, are not audible at all. So oh, it's not really working. If one of the players uh, runs the, the mission on his own PC and a friend joins, then there's a different bug. The radio transmissions somehow end up in an endless loop and repeat over and over and flood the screen with messages. Oh. That's that's terrible. <laughs> and I reported it to ED. There's been some reaction, but I'm just keeping my fingers crossed because it's really not on our side. There's nothing I can do about right, it. Right. Mission editor. The vision of that is would be fantastic, though. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully uh, ED can maybe new, come the new year here, they can uh, help you resolve that. Yeah, I'm, It would be nice to have that by the time it gets released, for sure. Yeah, keeping my fingers crossed. But even if it's released like this, once they fix it, we don't have to do anything about the missions because they're already set up in a way that they should work sure. in multiplayer. And then, and then you can uh, you can bug Bio to have him fly Azure Rio, and you can run him through all the missions. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Just don't try to put me in the front seat. Nobody wants to see that. <laughs> I actually flew uh, F5s when I was a Top Gun instructor. We had the two-seat F5F, and they would let the uh, backseater fly, you know, plenty of times. And uh, that's where I realized I was not that good <laughs> as a pilot. Of course, I'd never been trained as a pilot, you know. And it, it just reveals how demanding it is. I mean, my best my best trick was bleeding airspeed. <laughs> <laughs> I was happy that I learned to, I remembered to deploy the maneuvering flaps and remembered to plug it in and out of burner, depending on what we were doing. I mean, it was great fun, but uh, it was a real eye opener. How wild is that experience for you going from not flying to... Do you have flight experience in general before nope. outside of being a Rio? Nothing? Nope. I was, a, I, I was not a pilot. And then I, and the Navy doesn't train Rios as pilots. Right. And then, yeah, I, I've uh, often said that I learned to fly formation in an F-5. Wow. That, that's incredible. Oh, so that's a sweet airplane too. Yeah, that that um, I I've been doing some some work on the side, trying to uh, I probably shouldn't even say this because now people are going to hold me accountable, but um, trying to do some tutorial stuff on the F five in a different way that I've ever done it before, um, and I've been watching a lot of content and reading a lot of stuff about the F five, and one of the things that that a lot of the pilots say is you you fly it by your fingertips because it's so responsive. That in itself had to be an eye opener for you. Well. I mean, I guess that shows that I, I'm not a pilot, but you know, that was, that was something interesting. That kind of takes me back to when I was trying to fly formation and a pilot would get us, I mean, here's a Top Gun instructor, you know, in the front seat 
and he would get us in formation and he'd go, okay, bio, go ahead. And I, I would quickly just, you know, over control, we'd porpoise up and down and I'd move away out of safety and all that stuff. And then he'd move us back in formation and say, try it again. And, and anyway, so I did that a few times. I got a lot of tips and then eventually I go like, oh, I mean, I just kind of, it clicks, right? The light bulb came on and I go, oh, now you can fly. So yeah, you do, uh, it, it is pretty uh, sensitive, but you get the feel for it. If you're, you know, if you're spending more than a few minutes, you go, okay, here's what I got. Right, right. That but makes it, sense. And it never gets old. It is very cool. So, so I'm mean, not to digress from our conversation on the, um, the campaign here, but so when this, this is just intriguing me, when you did this stuff and you were flying, you're flying with a back, with a backseat with a pilot to, to keep things in control right yes it, it was a two seater well, well um, it was, a, it was a t- these were always top gun training missions and so the pilot we were this i usually flew when we were uh, back and forth to um uh to the mission like you know after we oh, took okay. off before we got into the area uh and then a very a few other times we would have instructor under training flights where it was just instructors up there i got you i got you I thought they'd gave you the jet in a single seat and you just went to town. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, they would do that exactly once and then the Navy would go, okay, this was not a good idea. Although, although there are some Rios who were, you know, already had their pilot license and blah, blah, blah. But I'm not going to get into that. That's pretty cool. Well, this has been um, awesome. I, I'm, I'm trying to rack my brain if I have any other questions to that I want to know about this campaign, but I think we've answered Greg, most. Greg, of them. do we have anything else we want to uh, tell them? Yeah, maybe I would just add one one more thing. So we've been talking about only the engagements so far, mm-hmm. which is a relatively small portion of the missions. So it it happens so quickly. Um, maximum forty miles setup for intercepts. It happens in two blinks of an eye. So you you really have to be focused and keep your head in the game. But uh, I really enjoyed the part outside of the range as well because we wanted to make that as realistic as possible. We we had some challenges because, of course, I was not familiar with, with Nellis procedures, but uh, Bio didn't have that experience either. So we did a lot of research on ingress and egress routes and radio channelizations, whatever. We did our homework as as good as we could. Uh, if there are some inaccuracies, uh, yeah, sorry about that. But I think it's fairly realistic. And just to give you examples, we wanted to make even the takeoff, the ingress, and the egress parts as realistic as possible. So we we introduced, for example, interactive checklists. So takeoff checklist, uh, landing checklist, fencing checklist. Jester will call out the items and you have to hit spacebar to reply and uh, okay. and check the, the given switch or whatever. It will be also on the kneeboard cards. So um, there will not be a moment where the player is bored on route or back uh, to the range. Yep. There's, there's stuff to keep you in the game. And that's the way it was in the airplane. I mean, you were... There were a few occasions in my flying career, and I probably anybody's flying career, where you have you know downtime. But but during an a detachment like this, where you have a short trip to the range and you've got a lot on your mind, 
there's not a lot of mental downtime. You're thinking of the uh, mission ahead or you're on the flight home. You're thinking, you know, you're running it through in your mind to get ready for the debrief. So, uh, I'd imagine that's a lot like, I mean, just flying in general, you know, I have a couple pilot friends in there, even on their long trips, they're always busy doing something, checking and rechecking and going through, making sure they're doing this and that in the right way. And yeah, that's a, uh, that's the sign of a good pilot or, or good Rio and something that, uh, Greg said, I didn't have uh, much Nellis experience, and that's true. I did fly into Nellis when I was a student in the Top Gun class in 1982. But, you know, that was the last millennium <laughs> many years ago, and a lot has changed. And so we dug up the uh, Nellis course rules and everything. And something that helped is that Greg is also a pilot. Oh, nice. And so that helped us uh, work together to uh, make this realistic and challenging and to for the player. What, what, what are you fly reflecting? Well, I wouldn't call myself a pilot after we talk about Nellis and, and, and fighter jets. I fly, <laughs> I fly gliders and motor gliders. Okay. Oh, nice. I I that's, uh, See, that's pretty good, isn't it? It's still, he's got a sense of what's going on up there. That, that's like a perfect BFM training right there. You have to uh, manage your energy perfectly. Yeah. Kind of. <laughs> so That's how awesome. long did it take from concept to the completion of the entire campaign? Hmm. I think our first call was sometime in May, was it? Uh, I'm looking for my uh, files. I've got them right here and I usually, uh, yeah, that, that's hard to say. Uh, was it, I mean, so what was the... So, so I think, bottom line, but just to give you a short answer, I think five to maybe six to seven months. Greg, what yeah. do you think? Yeah, something like that. Well, that's not bad. That's not bad. I know for the Raven 1 campaign that, uh, you know, a lot of it depended on some of the new features that uh, ED was coming out with for DCS. But, you know, ultimately, I think that was like over a year for that. Uh, and how many flights is that? I think it's uh, 12. Okay. And is that, that's like a realistic multi-aircraft combat environment, right? Yeah. The difference is that they took, uh, in that case, what they did was, um, is a collaboration with Kevin Miller and BD where they actually took and made some missions straight out of his novel. Yeah. So, so we are, we're doing with a uh, clean sheet of paper and, yep. and you know, I, I get the sense that a lot of uh, players in DCS want to, you know, get into combat. And it's like, okay, that would be cool also. So we are looking, this is a, uh, a challenging and realistic training environment uh, to help people, you know, learn, practice, et cetera. No, I think that's fantastic. Because I think, you know, as, as Jabbers was saying, that the folks that play DCS are here for a different reason than probably your um, the folks that just sort of sign up to go and shoot them because it is in the details and the realism to whether it's starting the aircraft or process and procedure. And I think that's the, that's the depth as they call this a study simulation that people want to get to. So I think it's fantastic. Um, When you, you come in with that, that level of detail into it, that's extremely compelling. Yeah, and I think that there's there's definitely uh, multiple classifications for the players themselves. Like, 
you have players who want that study level sim you do have the players that just want to get into combat um and and so the scope is is it goes there's multiple paths of different players but i think at its core what makes dcs what it is is that study aspect of it i mean i've i've played you know at one point i was like i just want to go up and fight and you know sure lately that's not really how i've been taking it i i love um there's a campaign that's a campaign generator that's out right now called dcs liberation and um it's kind of a third-party app to dcs that generates the missions and then you go play them in dcs and then it records the output uh to this third-party app and then the third-party app makes decisions and it and it's kind of the ability to um make a dynamic campaign within dcs uh and it's it's what i have been liking about it is um you know i'm i'm really heavy on the multiplayer side i've always played multiplayer for four or five years in dcs that's all i did and it was you know get up in the air go find a target shoot it down try to use every single one of your munitions on something and then land that was the goal uh you know get as many kills as you can in a sortie that was the goal uh in in this it's you know you have one task you go up and you do that task and you come home safe and and then you do the next mission and then so on and so on and you're kind of trying to push uh the the war so to speak in a certain direction with your single task at a time Uh, it's a much different play style and i've i've been personally really enjoying that uh, a lot lately well so so that's a good uh, um that's a good introduction because it reminds me of something i've started thinking about once you know once i finished flying and i started writing and uh, giving speeches and stuff like that i i made the point that uh yes it is great fun to climb into a jet fighter and just go up and fly around. But, you know, you would probably get bored of doing that after, I don't know, a few weeks or a few months or whatever. And so there was a lot to be said for precise execution. I mean, on the one hand, you know, many of the rules that, that the, that aviation has in place is for your survival there to keep you from killing yourself. But but also uh, it's rewarding to to fly a good mission and to fly properly and discipline, and then like I always have to add, the part of the reward besides you know is mental rewarding is you are flying around in a jet fighter up you know among the clouds and everything, so you still get that experience which is which is you know great so. Yeah, I, I can totally understand that, and I mean I think that even transcends to different professions as yeah. well yeah you know point. anything you love doing you should do it well and and that should be reward in itself right yes um do you guys have any uh lessons learned or 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 things that you would do differently if you were to do another campaign together i definitely learned a lot mm, not only about dcs but also about the tomcat and, and top gun and how how things happened in real life I don't think I would do anything differently. That's good. That's I really enjoyed good. the journey. Yeah, same here. I mean, I I really enjoyed working with uh, Reflected. It was uh, it was fun, um, and I enjoyed you know my part and working with him to do his part. So, are you guys have you guys talked or uh, discussed maybe doing another kind of campaign together or? <laughs> that's the big question everybody asks us th- th- that question we we haven't talked about this 
Well, it, it's interesting though, because it's, you know, we've been uh, working on, there's a new campaign that Kevin Jello and BD are working on and it's, it's actually going to be, it's called Raven zero. It's actually a precursor, but what's kind of cool uh, compared to Raven one is that they're actually starting because Raven zero doesn't really exist. It's our, it's the precursor. It's a precursor. And so they're starting from scratch, but I think it's a lot of, um, it's actually a lot of um, freedom um, compared to actually constraint being constrained by the book. And they're leveraging the same characters they're coming out with and doing that. So it's pretty interesting to watch, I think, to your point, starting with a blank slate and doing that. And if you enjoy doing that, coming up with um, ideas and concepts, and and I, I think it can be a lot of fun. So I, I hope to see you guys uh, collaborating again on something like this. Well, you know what? You never say never. <laughs> you guys should do uh, something that's just thought up completely like out of out of scope from things that are reality or like cowboys versus aliens or whatever yeah in jets that's great <laughs> well this has been uh awesome i i don't rob do you have anything anything else that you uh are dying to ask i i don't have any right now uh any questions at this point but it's it's this has been fantastic thank you both i'm sure as soon as we stop recording i'll think of another one but um <laughs> But yeah, no, I really, I really do appreciate you guys coming over and uh, setting aside some time and um, doing this interview. We, we really enjoyed it. And I, I, uh, I look forward to the campaign for sure. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. I, I really had a good time. Yeah. Thanks for giving us uh, uh, the forum and because uh, it's fun to talk about it and hope you enjoy the campaign. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, uh, thanks for listening. And we'll catch you guys next time. Thanks for listening to Air Combat Sim. Don't forget to subscribe or tell a friend about it. You have a question, idea for an episode, or a special guest you'd like us to invite? Feel free to reach out on Facebook, Discord, or via email. Air Combat Sim was brought to you by BVR Productions.